But I'm sure you'd also agree that it's been an amazing blessing in the life of our church. The title for today's message is Come As You Are, Stay As You Are, But Get In Community. I'll say it again. Come as you are. Come one, come all. Stay as you are, but get in community. And over the past three weeks, Ona has taken us through, the, through Paul's responses to the Corinthian church's questions about sexuality and relationships. We looked at Paul's instructions regarding sexual immorality, marriage, which also touched a bit on singleness, which is our topic for today, his words on divorce. But before we get into today's topic of singleness, I'd like to do a little bit of a contextual catch-up. As I mentioned, chapters 6 and 7, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church's questions. He's, asked, he's answering questions in these two chapters. Questions that were posed to him in the form of a letter and in which they asked him a number of things about sexuality, marriage, divorce, and singleness. We also know from earlier on in this Messy Grace series that Corinth has a reputation for being an incredibly sexualized city, one where prostitution and sexual immorality is celebrated. As a result of this, two groups form within the Corinthian church. When Paul first established the church in Corinth, he taught these new believers about their freedom in Christ. In Jesus, they were set free from all religious rules and regulations. And so one group believes that even though they're a new creation in Christ, they were free in Christ. So surely they can still engage in all of the sexual practices of the city because they're covered by his blood. Paul's words on sexual immorality in chapters 5 and 6 are directed specifically to that group. The other group, who were also hypersensitive to their new identity in Christ, wanted to ensure that they were completely set apart from their old lifestyles and the success of sexuality within the city. And so they felt that they should completely abstain from all sex, including sex within marriage. And this is why Paul writes much of chapter 7. And so we come to today's message, which is titled, Singleness, Come As You Are, Stay As You Are, But Get Into Community. It's called Come As You Are, because this message is for everyone. It's for all of us here today, no matter where we are in life. So when you got here this morning, married people, you may remember, oh, singleness. Um, I can check out until the last song or at least communion, right? No. We'll see in a moment in this text, this message is directed towards singles and married couples. Because in any and every church context, married people have a crucial role in serving singles just as singles have a crucial, vital role in serving married couples. Because together, we make of the body of Christ. And good people, this may sound brutal, but it is super worth noting that some, some of the married folk here today can possibly be single again. We could possibly be single again. Of course, this is not something that we want, and we pray we pray that this is not the case. But this side of heaven, death and divorce does occur. And so Jesus invites all of us 
to come as we are, just as we are, to listen to these words found in 1 Corinthians 7, 25 to 40. It's going to be up on the screen if you'd like to follow along. Otherwise, open your Bibles. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 25 to 40. We're going to read through it once, and then we'll kind of get into the text. The unmarried and the widowed. Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers and sisters. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraints upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry, it is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So, then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Let us pray. Thank you, almighty Lord Jesus Christ, that we gather here in your name this morning. Thank you for your common grace. We thank you for your amazing, unending grace. We thank you that as one body we can gather here today, worship you, praise you, Lift up the name of Jesus. Father God, we ask, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to us here today now. Reveal yourself to us through these words, through your power of your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. Lord, may we, may we have a special time with you here this morning. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Okay, so we're going to get into it. Long passage, lots of stuff to unpack. We can identify three things from the text this morning. Three things. First thing that Paul clearly says is, and it says it a number of times, stay as you are. In verses 7 and 8, Paul has already mentioned that he advocates remaining single. If you remember a few weeks back, Paul says, verse 7, I wish that all were as I myself am. But each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind 
one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. That's verses 7 and 8. And now, verses 25, Paul sort of, repeat, sort of repeats himself in these verses. And so clearly, this is important to him. Let's put it up. Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, the Greek word that Paul uses here is parthenos, which means single, unmarried person. So concerning the single unmarried people within the Corinthian church. Do not confuse this with how we understand betrothed today as an engaged person. He's talking to the single people within the church. He says, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. We know that Paul is an apostle who met with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so he is now speaking with authority as one who has met with the Lord Jesus. He says, verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he or she is. So I'm sure you're thinking, as I'm thinking, what's the present distress? Well, Paul writes this letter to the Corinthian church in approximately 59 A.D., Nero, you guys heard that name? Nero, infamous Roman emperor who hated, tortured Christians, is now stepping up his persecution of Christians within the Roman Empire. Other sources also say that Corinth was experiencing a grain shortage, and that coincides with the recorded famine recorded around this time of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. It's also important to note that all of the apostles, all of them, including Paul, believed that Jesus was coming back real soon. And so in light of all of those three things, Jesus is coming back, grain shortage, persecution of Christians, stepping up, Paul therefore says, stay as you are. Now, Paul's faced a lot of persecution, so he knows exactly what it's like to be persecuted. He knows that during tough times, it's better to remain single in order to save ourselves, our spouse, and even future children from heartache, pain, and suffering. And he knows that the Lord is returning real soon. His focus is on the coming kingdom, just as the Corinthian churches should be, and church today just as ours should be as well, the coming kingdom. Now you may be thinking, but today we have common grace. We can gather here freely. Christians aren't being persecuted, right? Not in South Africa. Are we not? Gospel doesn't offend people, right? I think it does. Churches are not being dragged into court. Mm, I think they are. No shortage here and the jobs are abundant. No, perhaps not. Perhaps our context is not so different to that of our Corinthian brothers and sisters. And so we need to be mindful of this as we come to the text today. Paul's words are clearly relevant to us as well. Verses 27 and 28. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Stay as you are. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed, remember this means a single woman, or man marries, she has not sinned. 
Paul is essentially saying that we need to be content with, with wherever we are. We need to keep our focus on Jesus. And we need to start enjoying the situation, married or unmarried. We need to start enjoying the situation, married or unmarried, that God has currently called us to. We need to get busy testifying to God's glory in our lives. You see, for Paul, everything is geared to bringing about God's kingdom here on earth. Everything. And this is what it should be for us as well. Are we passionate about leveraging our entire life, however they may look, single or married, for the sake of the gospel? Are we? Now you're thinking, stay as you are. Stay as you are. Jono, this sounds different to Paul's advice in 1 Timothy 5.14. Well, in that situation, Paul advises Timothy to encourage young widows with children within the church to get married. So why is that? Why does he encourage here? Doesn't Paul advocate singleness? Isn't that what he's saying? Well, in this context, he argues for marriage because these people that he's talking to were widows, young widows, with young children. And so if we think about this, in, even in today's context, these people would have had their lives filled with adversity, filled with discrimination, and they would have been incredibly busy. Young moms, can you testify? And so for these young widows with young children, marriage would provide them with financial stability, protection, and much-needed assistance within their households. And you know what? That in turn would allow for more opportunities to devote themselves to the Lord and thus build up the church. And so for Paul, everything, everything is about devotion to the Lord. Don't miss Paul's words here in verse 28, though. It says, Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. So stay as you are. I only mentioned two weeks ago that singleness is such a foreign concept in our culture today. And yet, the fact is that marriage is not for everyone. A person may be called to singleness for either a season or a lifetime. Please hear me. You may be called to singleness for a season or a lifetime. But church, we need to hear this today. We need to know that in God's kingdom, neither singleness nor marriage is morally better than the other. Both are valuable to accomplish God's purposes. Both singleness and marriage are valuable to accomplishing God's purposes. And so you may be called to singleness for a season, and God will use you there. And then God may exchange the season for marriage as he uses you somewhere else. But our approach shouldn't change. Our approach should always be contentment in the Lord. We need to trust in his ways and not be obsessed with receiving a new calling. We mustn't be envying another calling. We mustn't make an idol out of seeking marriage. Verse 29. Verse 29, it says, This is what I mean, brothers.
Brothers and sisters, the appointed time has grown very short. Jesus is coming back very soon. This is in Paul's day. How true is it for us today? From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, don't lose me here. This sounds odd to kind of what I was saying earlier. Paul is not saying get divorced. I'll unpack this soon. Just bear with me. He says, let those who mourn as though they, they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Now what Paul is actually saying here is, stay as you are, that's what he says first, but don't get too comfy with where you are. Don't get comfortable. Don't make your circumstances your entire world. Why? Because Jesus is coming back super, super soon. Single and married people, we need to hear this. We are both called to fix our eyes upon Jesus, to live utterly devoted to God the Father one day at a time, and to depend on his Holy Spirit to show us what to do next. We are to get to work and build the kingdom because Jesus is coming back very soon. Stay as you are. Don't envy another person's calling and devote yourself to Jesus. Now, if you're married and you're struggling in your marriage, this may not be easy to hear. Stay as you are. But provided that, as we saw from last week, you aren't a victim of adultery, provided that you were not abandoned, and this includes the abuse, and provided that your spouse is not sexually immoral in an ongoing, unrepentant fashion, then married people, we need to hear this. We need to remember that our family is our first mission field, and through serving them, this is our devotion to the Lord. As we serve our spouses, our kids, you will be furthering the kingdom and storing up riches in heaven. And if you're single, you may be thinking, well, that's cool. Stay as you are. That's good for Jonah to say. Stay, stay as you are. You're married. You're enjoying the physical relationship of marriage. You're the one enjoying the relationship that so clearly depicts Christ and his church. But what about my milkshake? Right? What about my milkshake? Why should I stay as I am? Seriously, why should you stay as you are? Second point. Because... Singleness is a gift. Singleness is a gift. The second thing that we can identify from the text today is that singleness is as much of a gift as marriage is. It is. Paul has already called singleness and marriage a gift in 1 Corinthians 7.7. 7. I'll remind you of it. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift, one of one kind and one of another. It's clearly a gift. We need to know today that singleness is no less of a gift than marriage is. And marriage, church, is not an upgrade of singleness. It's not. Singleness is not your clothing Christmas gift. So when I was young, Father Christmas would bring us a number of presents. And every morning, every Christmas morning before we went to church, my parents said, you can choose one present, but this is the one that we think you should choose. And so I was like, cool. Clothes. And you know what? 
Oh, but you can wear these to church. And then when we come back, you can get the other presents. So all my other games, action figures, they were all under the tree. And I was like, come on. Singleness is not the clothing Christmas gift. It is not the gift that we need to be content with until we get to open the better gift. That's not what singleness is. It is not the gift that we need to be content with until we get a better gift. It's not an upgrade or a downgrade. Singleness is a beautiful and perfect gift. James 1 verse 17 says, Every good gift, which Paul has called singleness and marriage, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. So cool. Singleness is a gift. And we can call it a gift, but how do we really know that it is a gift? How? How do we know? Well, verse 32. Verse 32 says, Paul says to the church, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or the betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. We've seen over the past two weeks that marriage is hard. We discussed marriage, we discussed divorce. It's hard. Marriage is hard. It's time-consuming. Just last week, during question of the day, I was chatting to a friend here. And he was telling me how that since he has been married, he cannot devote himself to God the way he used to when he was single. So when Kirsten and I moved to Pretoria, we spent, we spent one fine, beautiful Pretoria Saturday in, I think... Five Mr. Price homes. Five. Just along Linwood Road. Five. Okay? Buying exciting stuff. Curtains. Mm. Super cool. So we go through these five. We spend the entire day. And you know what we do? What do we do? You guys know where I'm going with this. We go back to the very first one. And what do we buy? The very first set of curtains we looked at. How many gospel conversations could we have had in that time? How many hours of prayer sacrificed? Although I was praying, actually. <laughs> How many discipleship opportunities? I'm jo we joke, but it's true. How many discipleship opportunities were missed during a day of curtain shopping? Now, I know what some people are thinking. I know what some of you are thinking. That sounds like fun, actually. I actually like curtains. I love to do that. Okay, cool. So if curtain shopping sounds like fun, let me, let me paint another scenario for you. When I finished Comrades Marathon two weeks ago, I had to throw that in here somewhere, okay? <laughs> <coughs> so when I, when, I, when, I when I finished this marathon, um, I'm running this marathon for 12 hours. Thank you for those of you following and praying for me. But now, in that same 12 hours, my wife, Kirsty, spends the entire day battling traffic, only to see me for three stops. She saw me at three stops, and I promise you, if 30 seconds, we saw each other for 30 seconds, that was long. So I was like, hey, okay, cool. Okay, sweet. She's sat in traffic for two hours to move 10Ks. Okay? 
And you know what happens? I cross the finish line, I'm in tears, I get my medal. I get a medal for crossing the line. This is what I get, okay? You know what Kirst got? She got to pick up my sweaty, smelly, wet socks, my cap, my running shirt, because I couldn't move. That's what she got to pick up. Carry me to the car. That was her reward. So for 12 hours, she supported me, and I think I saw it for 90 seconds during the race. And married people, I'm sure you can testify to this. Before we know it, homes, rugs, curtains, marathons, kids' parties are the things that are taking the center stage within our life. Yeah? Amen? <laughs> and in and of themselves, these things are not bad things, right? Really. Married people, they're not bad things, but the problem is we run the risk of idolizing them. Just the single people sometimes run the risk of idolizing marriage. Paul has already told us that these days are short. They were short then. How much shorter are they now? Jesus is coming back real, real soon. And even Jesus says in Matthew 24, verses 38 to 39, this is Jesus speaking. He says that he will return just as it was with the great flood of Noah's time. That's what he says. He says specifically, this is, I'm going to quote these verses, 38. Jesus says, For as in those days before the flood, before God wipes the face of the earth, the people of the earth were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they, the married and the mar people giving in marriage, they were unaware. They were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the be the coming of the Son of Man. Married people, we seriously run the risk of being unaware, too busy, not focusing on Christ's imminent return. And guys, that's just when things are good. If you think it's difficult trying to surrender to God's will for your life when you're single, it's a whole other, much more difficult ballgame when living together under one roof with another sinful person. When both of you are tired, both of you are battling with the challenges of life. Singleness is a good and perfect gift from above just as much as marriage is. Just as much. And the third point that Paul makes is that singleness should be as celebrated as marriage is. Singleness should be as celebrated as marriage is and perhaps even more. He says it, perhaps even more. Verse 36, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, the single person that, that this person is dating, if his sexual passions are strong, and it has to be, if they just have to get married, let them do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Why is it no sin? Why should they get married? Because marrying a fellow believer who you are dating and enjoying a sexual relationship within marriage will be better for those two lovers than sinning and being drawn away from God. Devotion once again. This union will allow for better devotion to God within these believers' lives. But 
Paul is not encouraging believers within the church to go outside the church, find an unbelieving spouse, because in his words in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 14, he specifically advises members of the same church not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul goes on to say, verse 37, But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his sexual desire under control, and who has determined in his heart to keep the single person, uh, his betrothed, to remain single, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well. Celebrate it. Cool, let's celebrate marriage. And he who refrains from marriage will do, Paul says it, even better. Even better. So singleness needs to be celebrated like marriage is, if not even more within the church. We've clearly seen throughout this entire series that Paul's approach to sexuality was and is still countercultural. Sexual expression sexual fulfillment, sexual gratification, were so central to this Corinthian church community. And they are still, let's face it, so central to modern understandings of identity and relationships. They are. And yet Paul doesn't value them at all. Previously in the series, Orne said, singleness without sex reflects a quality of dedication to a, a single goal. You'll remember, singleness without sex reflects a quality of dedication to a single goal. Doing research, I came across a New Testament scholar named De Silva, and he says that Paul believed, I'm going to say this super slowly, Paul believed that a God-glorifying body fulfills its purpose as it restrains itself from sexual pleasure. A God-glorifying body fulfills its purpose as it restrains itself from sexual pleasure, not as it indulges in its sexual drives. Let that sink in. Not as it indulges in its sexual drives. The world idolizes sex, but the church often idolizes sex within marriage. Many believers, let's face it, rush into marriage so that they can have sex, but then they discover that this desire is only one of the few things that they have in common. After the honeymoon, lots of friction, lots of friction, coupled with ever-present temptations, still exist. And so Paul urges us to instead celebrate singleness as much as marriage, if not even more than marriage. And after preparing for this message, church, I believe, this is my belief, but I believe that if singleness was celebrated more within the church, I think there'd be less marital strife. So some of you may know this, Friday is my day off. And so what Kirsten and I, I like to do is we call this cake day. And um, we go out for like a slice of cake. We try and go and taste all the, the good cake in the area. And one of the things that I've come to realize is that when it comes to cake, pieces are often too big to enjoy like for myself. And so we'll often share a piece of cake. However, I don't know if you guys have tasted chocolate volcano or chocolate souffle or McDonald's cup of cake. Can I get an amen? <laughs> okay, so these, souffle, chocolate souffle, chocolate volcano cake, McDonald's cup of cake. This is a dessert that is so good. 
that we don't want to share it. So like, Chris will be like, I'm getting my own. You get your own. We want our own. And guys, truth be told, this is better than any milkshake or dessert I've ever tasted. Okay? Any milkshake. And so, okay, if sex within marriage is a milkshake, okay, which is how Oni has described it the past few weeks, if sex within marriage is a milkshake, which is better than Nesquik, which is sexual immorality, then I'm telling you that Paul is saying that singleness provides you with the time, the resources to enjoy your own spiritual chocolate souffle. Absolute devotion to God. Homemade, guys. Homemade. Singleness is a gift that should be celebrated as much as marriage is. This has massive implications for us as a church. The global church, the local church. Because I mentioned, as I mentioned previously, the church is so often responsible for exalting the gift of marriage, and particularly sex within marriage. And honestly, for that we need to repent. We so often preach on Ephesians 5, the marriage metaphor for the church's union with Christ. And that's true and that's great. We thank you, Lord. Christ is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. But again, in research, in doing research, I came across Grudem, who, who highlights, he's a theologian, who highlights another metaphor within the scriptures. In relation to Paul, this is what Grudem says. He says, Paul gave up one way, one way, in which he might reflect the likeness to God, marriage, in order to further other ways, ways, in which he, Paul, reflected likeness to God. Paul gives up one way in order to further other multiple ways that he can reflect likeness to God. So as a transcultural church, we need to hear this. Unity and diversity in the Trinity are not only reflected in marriage. They are also reflected in the unity and the fellowship of the local church. Building the church and increasing its unity and purity also promote the reflection of God's character in the world. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, we're coming to it in the series coming up. We are the body of Christ, and each one, each one of us is a part of it. And so it is clear, church, it is clear this morning, singleness should never, ever equate to loneliness. So what does this mean for singles here today? Well, this may sound familiar. Singles need to get in community. What does this mean for all of us here today? All of us need to get in community. Paul was writing, when he was writing this letter to, to the Corinthians, he's writing to singles. He's writing to married people, struggling and healthy. He's writing to widows. There's a number of different people that he's writing to, all with different callings together in one church community. And he urges them to stay as they are. Stay as they are. Stay as you are. Be a unified community. This isn't new to us. Be a unified community. Last week, Oni advised the married couples, both healthy and struggling, to get in community. 
He advised the divorcees to get in community. Those struggling with an unbelieving spouse, get in community. And so it's no surprise that I'm up here today encouraging singles to yip. You guessed it. Get in community. But here's the thing. Community needs to welcome divorcees. Community needs to welcome the struggling and healthy married couple. Community needs to welcome the widows and the widowers. Community needs to welcome the same-sex attracted. And community needs to welcome, welcome the singles. The local and global church has been functioning for too long as a divided body. We're not single-minded in our approach to community. Yes, pun intended. We are not single-minded in our approach to community. We're often operating separately with the lower body, being the married couples for obvious reasons, <coughs> operating separately from the upper body, the singles who aren't, we're not working together, we don't socialize, we don't serve one another outside of the times that we absolutely have to. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great on a Sunday. Wednesday night's cool. Are we socializing and mixing together? And then we often have the lower body trying to make the upper body into the lower body. Ridiculous, right? But is it true? And guys, for this I need to repeat, repent. Walk around trying to pair people up. Constantly ask questions. So, so when you, you know, seriously, when are you going to settle down now? So. We're not celebrating singleness in the church. You know what we're doing? We're trying to cure it. Guys, this isn't biblical. It's not biblical. And it's often downright painful for all the parties involved. The upper body, the singles, also have a role to play in this division. Sometimes singles tend to keep their distance from their newlywed friends after the ceremony. And this distance can grow even bigger after the first child comes along. And how many times do we hear those jokes about ball and chain? The yes, dear jokes, the oh, who's wearing the pants in that relationship now? Church, I think it's certainly time to break this divide. To come together as singles and married couples, and to get in genuine community. Genuine community. What does that look like? What does genuine community look like? For singles and married, mixing it together. It means having singles and married couples around for dinner simultaneously. I'm not trying to match them up while you do it. It means saying no, I'm going to get an amen for this. It means saying no to the 15th kids party that Saturday in a row, because why? Maybe it's time to go out for coffee with a single friend again. It means offering to help out your married friend make dinner, clean their house, tag along when they fetch their child from school. See, the problem is, often with married couples and people in their houses, we, we want everyone to think that we're, that we're perfect. You know, we, we're perfect. Our houses are never anything out of place. Never dirty. And in the end, all this does is keep distance between us and others. 
idea of perfection. But community also means being there when you said you would be. I know I need to get better at that. It means inconveniencing your young family every once in a while, leaving the comfort of your own home to go to that single friend's housewarming party with your children, with your husband, with your wife. It also maybe means giving up working out for the 10th time that week so that you can babysit your friend's children while they go out on a date night. It means acknowledging different gifts, celebrating these, and getting in community. It means laying down our individual lives, our rights, our privileges, just as Jesus did. Why? So that we can serve one another. Because this is the body that Jesus laid down his life for. That's the body that has been set apart, sanctified, holy. And that's the body that will inherit eternal life. Because of the life and death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Perhaps you're new to church today. Perhaps you're not a believer. And perhaps when you hear about that idea of community, that's a, that's a community you're thinking, hey, I want to be part of that. Then I urge you to come to Jesus this morning. To put your faith in him. Reach out to him and say, yes, Lord, I need you. I love you. Thank you for hanging on a cross for my sins. Please come and be Lord over all my life. And if that's you today, we do have people that will be up the front after the service that you can chat to, that they can pray with you if you'd like to take that step. And for those of us who have crossed the line of faith, perhaps as we share communion here this morning, perhaps it's time to say, Lord, we're sorry. We're sorry yet again. We're sorry for the idols that we've worshipped in your place. We are sorry for the times that we have not been devoted to you because of life's distractions. And we're sorry for the times that we have made others feel less worthy because of our own failings. We're sorry for not appreciating the different qualities within the body of Christ, different callings. We're sorry for isolating ourselves from one another within your body. Yes, Lord, we're sorry. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you here today, this morning. We thank you, Lord, that because of who you are, because of your unending mercy, because of your infinite grace, because of your everlasting love, because of your unfailing goodness, and, Lord, because of what you accomplished for us on the cross, we stand here today as your redeemed children. Redeemed. We are saved by your grace and washed in your love. And because of this great love, we are able to come boldly to your table as one body here today, this morning. Amen. So this morning we remember the night when Jesus and his disciples had their last...